1: Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio, and we are your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris, broadcasting live from lovely Austin, Texas. You know, Julie, there isn't a day that goes by where I don't feel honestly and completely blessed for doing what we do.
2: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I have many of those moments throughout the day.
1: Yeah. I mean, even on the hard days Great. where you're dealing with knucklehead yeah. realtors, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Some of you guys are real knuckleheads. There's no doubt about it. it. yeah that that's our that's our uh, business term for some of you guys yeah knuckleheads. okay so right but you know what it's even the blockheads and the knuckleheads. sometimes the ones that you know don't quite get it and are frustrated that they don't get it and by getting it, it it could be a number of different things but the point is is being in a position to be able to help other people achieve their goals help other people discover success help other people create financial freedom help other people find some sanity In this industry where there's so many different things that drive you insane, that's the blessing part. When you guys get it, it's so profoundly fulfilling um, as your coach that it's almost impossible to describe. Well, I'll tell you the only parallel I've got in my personal life, okay? It's watching Zoe, our little daughter, learning how to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that's the only thing that comes close to the fulfillment that I personally I know Julie gets, um, helping you guys accomplish your goals. It's that profound for us. So, you know, we get a lot of folks that are asking nowadays, especially to be real estate coaches. We're advertising, we're looking for great real estate coaches, and um, Julie and I thought we'd do our radio show today on what it takes to be a great radio coach, uh, I'm sorry, a great real estate coach, and in doing so also, help some of you to maybe consider whether or not you should apply to be one of our coaches, Um, and then for the rest of you, for you guys to realize really how much work it is to be a great real estate coach and all the fiery burning hoops that we put people through before we even consider them to be a real estate coach. So we've written down 10 points, we're gonna share these with you today. Um, You know, the mindset of a real estate coach, the mindset of a great real estate coach is vastly different, surprisingly enough, than the mindset of a great real estate agent. Just because, and this is mostly with the folks that we're getting applying, they're great realtors, a lot of them sold hundreds and hundreds of homes per year, and you know they're wanting a change of scenes. They're wanting a different challenge. They're wanting diversity of in- or diversification of income. For whatever reason, they're saying that they're looking into this whole coaching thing, right? Some of it's ego. I get it. it's all those good reasons. But you know the thing that might be a little counterintuitive is just because you're successful at doing doesn't mean you're going to be successful at teaching and coaching somebody else to do the same thing. And that's not something that's very easy to explain to somebody. What do you mean, Tim, you're not hiring me? I sold 600 mm-hmm. houses last year. Well, I get that. And on paper, that sounds great. But just because you were successful at it doesn't mean you can convey it, doesn't mean you can coach it, doesn't mean you can teach it. So, Julie and I were not tooting our own horns, but great rollers. I mean, we, have a, we had storied careers. National Association of Rollers did articles on us. You know, now it's basically two decades ago. And we sold real estate for. 10 years basically, and you know, sold over between 100 and 200 homes year in and year out, sold 100 houses our first year. But you know what? If you come to me after, say, five years, having sold I don't even know how many hundreds of houses at that point, and asked me to be your coach, chances are we wouldn't have been very good coaches for you because we had not yet conceptualized or really understood that just because you can do doesn't mean you can teach. Julie, your parents were both teachers. You come from a long line of teachers. It's true. It, so help me convey to these guys just before we get to our first point what the idea is, because I know you understand completely because you deal with sure. the hiring process every day as I do.
2: Well, you know, being a great teacher, there really is an art to that. It's not just, hey, go do this because that's what I did. That's more of sort of a speaker, trainer, office guest type of thing, if you will. And Tim, it always reminds me of like uh, builders we used to work for that were great carpenters and decided to be builders, but were totally disorganized and really didn't have everything in line the way it should go. Just because they were great carpenters didn't automatically make them great builders. So to be a great coach, it does require training. It requires studying. It requires paying attention at a whole other level. And I'll tell you one of the fun things that we always hear from the coaches his, uh, what immediately happens to them is they have to be so accountable to their own businesses and their own goals, it's very, it's super clear what they have to do. You mean it's cathartic.
1: It's, like, it's you, cathartic. Well, it's cathartic, and yeah. it's a,
2: a lot of practice what you preach. Right. Because if you don't do what you coach, you're out of accountability with yourself, which means you're not a great coach, so probably we didn't hire you in the first place. And that's why we do put them through a large amount of scrutiny, and make sure that just because you talk the talk or you've done a lot of deals doesn't necessarily make you automatically a great coach. There's a whole lot more to it than that, mindset-wise and everything else. So you and I put together uh, a radio show all about this. I mean, how do people know what makes a great coach, especially in something that's not particularly regulated? You know, It doesn't require a Ph.D. in coaching to be a coach. People can just roll out of bed and declare themselves a coach, which is kind of scary.
1: Well, exactly. There's no barriers to entry. But so Julie, let's go through our 10 points. The sure. first point you wrote down, and this is a really important one, guys. Listeners, some of you are coaching students. Most of you are coaching students or considering being coaching students. Those of you who aren't, go to free coaching calls for agents.com. free coaching coaching freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Freecoachingcallsforagents.com and request a free coaching call. We have eight coaches that are standing by, they're admissions coaches, and they'll let you know whether coaching's um, a good fit, whether we're a good fit for you, you know, and then we'll go from there. But so the first, criteria should be the most obvious. But to be completely honest with you guys um, and not worrying about offending anybody, to be honest with you on a radio show, we generally don't worry about that. We just say what we think. Um, you know, a lot of you guys are getting suckered into signing coaching contracts uh, with uh, coaches that have never sold real estate before. So our first point is prove an experience. Julie, what the heck does that mean?
2: Yeah. Well, so proven experience. A great coach is someone who has a proven track record in the field that you wish to excel in. If you were wanting to be an Olympic uh, swimmer, you would want to hire a swimming coach, not just a general coach. They're not a generalist. They are, in fact, a specialist. They've done or are currently doing what they're coaching you to do. They've walked in your shoes. They're not a life coach. They're a real estate coach. That's what you're trying to move forward in. And. It, it's an interesting point, Tim, because people can just go to like a coach's seminar and declare themselves a coach. And what was it really about? Was it just about, you know, general life stuff, or was it about making money in real estate? It does make a difference.
1: Well, so specifically though, Julie, one of the things we look for in when we hire a coach. And again, if you're thinking about applying for a job with us, we encourage you to do so. But one of the minimum criteria is you're going to have to have sold either darn near 100 houses or over 100 houses a year, Uh, but you have to have been uh, successful consistently and has to be proven experience. So which will mean that, you know, a lot of you guys were thinking about becoming coaches won't becoming coaches with us because you haven't hit that threshold. And why do we have that as a minimum standard? And I understand that, you know, that's going to frustrated. A lot of you want to be coaches for us. The simple fact is, is that um, we absolutely positively would rather have all of our uh, coaching clients having an exceptional experience. When you guys go to ask your coach for advice, or you have a problem with the transaction, or you have something that only someone with experience will understand either, you know, they won't, they'll understand the question, but they'll under, also understand how to kind of walk you out of the, you know, the dark hole that might be the problem. That can only come from experience there's no way anyone who hasn't sold real estate before at a high level will be uh, effective or as effective as someone who has it just is plain old good old-fashioned common sense so when you hire one of our coaches to work f- with you uh, there's an excellent chance that they have sold over a hundred houses consistently probably for at least five to ten years um, that's the level that is the minimum threshold right in there now we have a couple that have been very consistent at selling 50 to 75 homes and they've done it for like 10 or 15 years in a row you know what that's pretty darn good too so it just really depends on the individual but the bottom line is you have to have had a proven long-term experience or experience in selling real estate not just someone who's a life coach as julie just said nothing wrong with life coaches no but nothing wrong we're not saying that but just the bottom line is is our number one criteria is you have to have actually walked the walk you can't just be a faker Number two, Julie, is a natural-born teacher. What does that mean?
2: Well, a great coach isn't just a technician. They also are a great communicator from a teaching standpoint. They're a great communicator of the education required to move you forward. And that's something that is a little harder to quantify, but coaching clients, maybe they don't put their finger on it, but they would say, gosh, you know, I really get them. We really connected. I really understand what they're asking me to do. So a natural born teacher, someone who doesn't just understand how to do something. You know, it's funny, you see this a lot with, uh, I, I think these guys can relate to their own real estate clients that are on the technical, engineering, scientific end of things.
1: Analytical side.
2: Yeah, where they might just be smart as a whip. You know, one of my clients uh, sells in Los Alamos, New Mexico, where there's a lot of scientific research going on. And she talks about how hard they are to get through their (laughs) blockheadedness. Because they're like unbelievably smart PhDs, you know, probably moving satellites around and stuff. But they just don't communicate that well. And she has some challenges with that because they're just kind of like great at their little world and so a coach or someone wanting to be a coach can kind of be that way too if they're not a great communicator so a great coach is a natural born teacher and understands that it's not just about knowing what to do it's about communicating what to do
1: And so a lot of you guys who've um, been exposed to this type of thinking before will know a lot of what we're describing are oftentimes called the stages of mastery. Sometimes it's called the stages of learning. But what Julie's describing now, and really it goes to all these points, is the fourth level of learning. Stages of learning is the other thing it's called, where it's called um, conscious competence, uh, where you're in essence, you know, it's, it's beyond just knowing how to perform the task at a high level. It's then being able to perform the task at a high level and explaining to others how to do it. That's the secret sauce for becoming a great coach right there. That and combining that with obviously a lot of practical know-how and motivational skills, which leads me perfectly to our next point, which, Julie, is a natural-born leader.
2: A uh, natural-born learner, I learner, believe. Learner, sorry. That's okay. Uh, a great coach has actually been trained to be a great coach. They understand that learning themselves is part of the challenge. They didn't just roll out of bed and decide to be a coach. You don't just become a coach because you say you are. You know, you are a natural-born learner. You have acquired that coaching acumen because it's amazing. You know, when people get into coaches training, they're like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. <laughs> know because it is about education accountability and motivation and getting the right balance between those things and continuing your own learning to deliver those efficiently does take effort So it's not something where you can just anoint yourself a great coach and have it happen because you want it to be. You've actually got to get the training. Not so dissimilar to becoming a great real estate professional. You have to have lived through a lot of things and trained yourself and gotten the education. So they believe in ongoing learning. So Tim number four, a great coach avoids complacency. So hang on a second. I thought coaches could just kick back, strap on the headset and, you know, hang out in their jammies all day. What do you mean? They have to avoid complacency too.
1: So I'm giving you guys a little heads up. Those of you who are going to apply to be coaches for us, we're going to ask you questions. You know, you're going to talk to probably three or four people in our company before we even consider you, and we're going to ask you questions uh, that are essentially trying to ferret out whether or not you're complacent. That would be, complacency would be basically where you're looking to take on challenges, what you're doing every single day to continue learning, what you're doing to basically make it so that you're not becoming lazy in essence. I mean complacency is a nice way of saying lazy. But we all basically enter into complacency. It's easy to be lulled into complacency. I'm, I'm happy with where I live, or I'm happy with my weight, or I'm happy with my savings account. I'm happy with fill in the blank. That's in essence complacency. The problem with being complacent, the problem with being happy with any aspect of your life, and I know this does, not, this does conflict with a lot of your mindsets about you know, success, but when you become complacent about any aspect of your life, and I mean this just as plainly as I can say it, you will lose that thing. You can't stay. It cannot stay the same. I'll give you a real. You guys can't argue at this point. Think about this one. So if you're, for example, happy with the amount of money you have saved, okay? I'm happy with the money I have in the bank, Tim. I don't need any more, really. Okay. Well, have you heard of inflation? Have you heard? Have you noticed the fact that what your money buys today is not the same as what it bought you five years ago? Have you noticed that everything more or less has gotten more expensive? It's because of inflation. So even if you decide your savings account at whatever dollar amount it is, is fine, you're complacent. I don't need to add any more to it. The reality of it is, is that the buying power of that money is actually decreasing. So in essence, you might be complacent mentally and emotionally, but what's happening is you're losing that very thing that that money is supposed to represent, which is security, Now, that will happen in all aspects of your life. You know, a real obvious – another example is educationally. When you guys decide to be complacent, I got my listing process down. My pre-listing pack is, you know, whatever. It's good enough. My scripts are good enough. My process is good enough. My lead generation is good enough. I did it last year. I can do it for the next 10 years in a row. It's wrong. If you – you have to basically enter into your business almost on a daily basis and assume that whatever you were doing yesterday – Will not work today now is that a true statement of course it isn't but that thought does shock you out of being complacent it keeps you challenged um you know so coaches we absolutely positively avoid coaches that are complacent complacent coaches and we've you know a couple have sneaked under the radar that we've gotten rid of relatively quick they are the worst there's no way if you're complacent you can be motivational you cannot be motivational you'll have no authenticity no one's going to believe you If you're obviously kicking back and just basically watching the grass grow while you're on coaching calls, we don't do that. So we look for folks that are constantly keeping themselves challenged, that are reading things, that are going on experiences. We have a coach. That is thinking about living in Spain for half of a year, okay? I think that's really cool. That's someone who's willing to take on all kinds of risks, all kinds of challenges. We have other coaches that are making movies, literally, that are involved in Hollywood. We have coaches that are, you know, you guys fill in the blank. The point is is this life of ours is a gift and for you not to be continuously looking for ways to experience it at a higher level, in other words, avoiding complacency, you are not going to be a coach for us. And those of you who are thinking about hiring a coach or have a coach, if your coach is complacent, you need to fire them because that means that they're going to not challenge you, not motivate you. And that means you too will become complacent. Complacency is the end of anything that you think you have. It will literally go away. Your health, your wealth, your happiness, your love, your success, your everything goes away if you decide to be complacent. Julie, what's the next point? The next point, Tim,
2: is to have a heart of service. A great coach really and truly cares about the success of their clients. And we'll go the extra mile to make sure the client meets or exceeds their goals. This can really mean a lot of different things, but you can sense it about your coach, whether they have the heart of service or not. If you feel like your coach is just calling it in and watching the clock and, you know, what did you even get out of that call? That's a problem. If you feel at the end of the call better than you did at the beginning of the call because you know that somebody's got your best you know, your best success in mind in their own heart, then you've got the right coach. And we make very uh, careful decisions on our coaches that they all do have a heart of service. And you guys, a lot of our coaching clients have this heart of service for their own clients too. So I know you guys know what we mean. You don't just look at them as another, you know, your clients as another number. You actually care about what's going on in their lives. So that's what coaching is about and you know that's one of the things that makes our coaches different is that we do take the time to actually get to know you and ask tons of questions especially in your initial calls to find out what makes you tick everybody's different so you know having a heart of service you can feel that when you've got that going on so, you can
1: you yeah. can feel that when you talk to somebody and, and i and i'll tell you how this manifests in a negative way in other words if you don't have the heart of service if basically your ego is completely making it about you if you think coaching basically is you getting on there and you know, talking about yourself for a half hour, as I know this is something that, you know, it happens sometimes And with uh, you know, trainers mostly. I mean, they're getting up there. They want to talk about themselves. They want to be in front of the room. They want to be in front of the audience. Guys, that's 99% of the time, just rampant runaway ego. It is not, they're not intending to help you. They just want to get up there and basically, like the attention. exactly. You, you Who has not been in an experience, had an experience like that, where you go to some real estate event, where you're sitting there and you're talking, listening to this guy talk or gal talk, and you just, it just kind of grinds you. It doesn't really feel like they're, they're not there for you, they're there for themselves. That is, you know, it's an intuitive feel you have. Hopefully you guys know that our highest and truest purpose, and we know this and we live this, is to be of service to all of you. And when we're on this radio show, trust me when I tell you, Julie and I are just thinking about you. We're just thinking about the radio show. We're just thinking about motivating you and educating you and doing our best to get you into action. And in doing so, we know that that will result in you doing the same thing for all the folks that listen to you, your family, your coaching, your own clients, maybe our coaches who are listening, their coaching clients. So, guys, you have to have a heart of service. That's one of the very key differentiators between just an okay coach and a great coach. Now, Julie, the next point, going back to the levels of learning, is conscious competency. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, so a great coach is consciously competent. So the difference between a coach and a trainer or a presenter is that a great coach actually coaches you how to execute the tasks required to reach your goal. They don't just tell you or present ideas. They actually show you how to achieve what's necessary. They ask questions that lead you to self-discover the solutions. It's a much more detailed, intricate, and intimate process than just you know having a half-hour seminar, here's, you know, here you go, here's what I did okay that's just that's something that that's like a a free visit during an office meeting type of thing a coach is different than a trainer or a presenter they are consciously competent they know the steps required and they show you how to achieve that they ask questions to find out where you're at and how to self-discover that right so the way you teach one client how to you know to speak with their past clients may be completely different than someone who's done it every day but they just haven't been getting the results that they want You got to meet people where they are and then take them to where they want to be. And that's the difference.
1: Well, it was what, seven or eight years ago, we had a coach's training. And we've only done this once, but I'd love to do it again because it was frankly so funny. So they you know we had this big group of uh coaches and wanna coaches and they're all in a room and then uh we showed up with uh was we divided them into small groups of four or five people and we gave them basically the goal of essentially they were supposed to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich some of you uh may have seen this this is that was like a
2: great exercise It
1: was but this is something actually guys I learned in business school when um essentially you're teaching people how to uh, give instructions and how generally speaking, people's instructions are too general. In other words, they don't have the, and essentially people don't know how to teach. That's the bottom line. So the goal was you have as a group to write down uh, how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay. Then you wrote down exactly what it was. So you have, you know, four or five bright people writing down all the steps to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay. Then they went in front of the whole entire group. And sitting in front of the group were all the things that went into making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I want you to visualize this, guys. So you had your utensils, you had your plates, you had your you know your bread. I'm just I'm remembering, laughing because I'm thinking about this <laughs> jelly. You had your jelly. You had everything that was there, right? So only, you only had your equipment, basically. You had everything necessary to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich. But the only things, so you then would, I would read uh, um, the what you wrote down as far as the instructions how to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich. And you were only able to follow the directions that you wrote down. So if you didn't say, for example, put down a plate, and then put down one piece of bread, and then if you didn't write very intricate, detailed, step by step instructions of exactly what needed to ha- happen. In other words, stick the knife into the jar of peanut butter. Okay, if you didn't say that, if you just said put the peanut butter on the bread. You but had to you use did, your hand. You had to use your hand, right? So you didn't say stick the knife in there. You had you'd then use your hand. If you didn't say, for example, you know, any little the details that we're missing, guys, that's what coaching is. So it's one thing just to say make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then, you know, okay. Well, but it's another thing to try to teach someone to then teach somebody else how to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich, you see? So when you're trying to say, for example, here's what you're supposed to do to prequalify someone to read this script, the reason that so many of you struggle with that, just following, that's by the way not coaching, that's training, here's the instructions, just read it. Just shut up and read the script. How many of you guys have heard that before, right? All of you have. And then you go like, I don't understand. It's because no one's taken the time to explain to you and help you psychologically understand, emotionally attached to, why the questions are the written the way they are, why they're written in the order in which they're written. So when you're going through the process of pre-qualifying someone, you have a higher level of comfort. Oh, that's not, you know, that's not the old school teaching. That's tra- you know, we, we're going to basically give you a script. You're supposed to read it. You'll figure it out along the way. Well, how many of you do figure it out along the way? Again, incompetent coaches who are really, in essence, trainers or more, I think, a better Large. label for them would be speakers. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not great coaches because they don't know how to really instruct someone how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. They are the ones that, as we did these, um, this coach's training, they're the ones that were standing in front of the room with peanut butter all over their fingers.
2: Yeah, you know? <laughs> and you know, I that's such a great demonstration that the one that you're referring to the peanut butter and jelly, because number one, it's something that everyone should know how to do theoretically. We're not even talking about calling an Fisbo or an expired, right? We're talking about making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, so it could be more simple. But the the best instructions I remember actually said if you only have one knife, wipe the peanut butter off before you stick it in the jelly.
1: That's right. <laughs> you
2: know? Kind of practical information, detailed, yes. But the premise was, if you had never made it before, how would you coach somebody to do it, right? If you had somebody in front of you that was from a foreign land that didn't eat peanut butter and jelly, how would you actually explain it to them? And it was such a clear demonstration of the difference between coaching and just, you know, speaking.
1: Okay, so the next reason, point number seven, really what it takes to be a great coach. Um, When you were – Inman did a great survey – very in-depth. Our friend Teak did, Wiggins did a great you know, article in um, Inman about basically uh, coaching and you know all those good things. And one of the things that everyone said they wanted was accountability. But here's the thing about accountability. It means something different to every person. And we don't look just for someone who could straight out hold somebody accountable. We look for what we call a caring accountability. Julie?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So caring accountability means that a great coach actually keeps you on track in a systematic, logical, and attainable way. Caring accountability. They sort out what is necessary for you to excel and coach you to what's the most efficient and effective. They help you also see what's unnecessary and uh, can help you use what is necessary to get you to the finish line. A lot of you guys are in a constant state of being overwhelmed by all of the junk that's sent to you and all the different things that are in your head. So a great coach holds you accountable to what actually matters and helps you sift and sort out of the things that don't matter. So they hold you accountable to getting the things done that are required for you to get to the next level.
1: That's right. So the next point we wrote down was, um, Julie?
2: Is point number eight. A yeah, great coach is actually your greatest fan. They celebrate your victories and they get you through the challenges with equal enthusiasm. They believe in you, sometimes even more than you believe in yourself. They're your fan, your co-pilot, your teacher, your mentor. I've had many coaching calls, Tim, where I asked them, you know, who else cares about your business besides us, right? Some of, some of you guys don't have great brokers or office managers, or some of you don't even have a supportive spouse. We understand and we appreciate that. So a great coach is also your greatest fan. And the ninth point, Tim, is that they have considerate and appropriate confrontation. Uh-oh, that's a scary word. But a great coach will get you out of your own way in a constructive, supportive, and effective manner. They instigate and support breakthroughs. So yes, there will be confrontation from a great coach, but it's considered and appropriate to who you are and what
1: your goals are. You know, confrontation, Julie, read my chat. Confrontation is something that is an art form, to be honest with you, um, because a lot of times it's that you confront somebody differently depending on their personality type. You guys have studied that. Dr. Marston, if you haven't Googled Dr. Marston personality types. Uh, You know, don't read any of the stuff that came after it. Read the original stuff by Dr. Merson. He's the one that created DISC. So uh, our coaches obviously are trained to identify what personality type somebody is. And then they have to confront them, and going back to point number seven, hold them accountable depending on what their personality type is. These things matter. You know, you can't hold a driver uh, accountable the same way you, say, for example, hold somebody that's analytical accountable. Some people are, you know, wealthy, successful agents. They're not going to be held accountable in the same way as, say, for example, somebody who's just getting started. It's all different. It's all a customized, personalized approach. Um you know great coaches understand that there's a lot of um intimacy in a way, and I don't mean it in the way a lot of you are thinking as I say that, but there is a lot of intimacy that's involved with great coaching. A great coach will understand what you're thinking and feeling, oftentimes by the maybe fifth or sixth word that's spoken when the coaching call starts. They can intuitively dial in and tune into really what you're thinking, what you're feeling. And they can also, after maybe, I don't know, maybe sometimes it takes as long as four or five coaching calls, they'll know whether you're actually getting it Based on what you say and how you answer questions. So to describe what a great coach is, is you have to have experienced what great you have to have experienced great coaching. And once you've experienced great coaching, you'll realize probably for the most part, everyone you've had in the past has just been a trainer. Point number ten, Julie. Point number ten is implementation of what's required to actually
2: get to the stated goals. I always ask people, or you know, coaching clients will say, well, it's a great coaching call. And I always say, well, it's only great assuming that you implement what we talked about, right? So a great coach doesn't just tell you what to do. They actually get you to do it. That's another big difference between coaching and training. Successful implementation results from the collaboration between a coachable client and a great coach. There are two sides to this, right? So the coach can't just do everything for you, but a great coach gets you to do it yourself.
1: And you know what? All these points are valid, too, not just for the coach with the client, but also how the coach treats their relationship with us, to be honest with you. The coach has to be accountable to us because Julie and I are the head coaches. The coach has to be a constant learner. The coach has to have their mind open for criticism. You know, sometimes we get folks that are applying for again. I'm going back to the typical top producer scenario. You know, they've been the top producer in their agent, their to their region, and they think, well, the na- next natural progression in my career is being a coach. Well, you know, the thing is, unless you really are, uh, it, it, unless you really are understanding at a very high level the ten points that I just. Uh, Julie and I just presented to you, unless you are not in conflict with any of them, in other words, if your ego is saying, my experience in the marketplace, or you're saying something like, I sold more houses than all of you combined, or all these other types of things that I've heard for some of you applying for jobs, you're not great coaching material, because guess what? The last thing that a great coaching relationship is about is the coach, is you. You Are not really that important when it comes to the coach's or the client's experience. It's not about you. If your coach is using a lot of personal pronouns, I, me, or whatnot, and and, and constantly telling their own personal stories, chances are that coach and you are having what's called a training experience, which is great. Some of you prefer that opposed to true coaching. You know what we offer is authentic. And, and honestly, we, we, it is authentic because all of our coaches have sold real estate, as we talked about and it 's a holistic approach it 's not just training it 's not just coaching it 's a combined experience sometimes you, you know the calls are more about coaching and sometimes they 're more about training it depends on the individual. So have your mind open to the fact that a really great coach is going to get you down the road the quickest. I'm always remembering when I'm talking about coaching and someone's asking me or I'm interviewing somebody or Julie's, you know, we're talking about whether or not we should hire someone or promote somebody. We always, I always have this visualization in my head. You know, it was Julie and I are in Las Vegas or something and we were watching one of those, I don't know what, IMAX? Do they even have those anymore? I don't know. Where you're basically this screen, the size of a football field, you know, maybe even bigger than a football field. I don't know. And we watched this special, you guys might remember this, it was a few years ago, you probably do, about climbing Everest. And I thought, you know, when we got to the mountain climbing scenes, which were the heart of the movie, I honestly got kind of bored. The part that I thought was really interesting were the Sherpas. So you have these little dudes that basically carry backpacks and they're, you know, they live in this little Sherpa village. I know I'm not getting any of the details right. And some of you are saying, oh my God, Tim, they're this tribe of people and they're this and that. Just get the overall concept here, okay? Okay. So you have these folks that are generally physically half the size of the people that they're helping climb up this mountain. And what I remember is not only that, but I remember the fact that they oftentimes will carry the same, if not more, weight than the people that they're helping up the mountain. They're not wearing the same level of gear that the people that they're helping up the mountain. In other words, they've been up the mountain so many times that they – essentially know what it takes, They're experience getting up the mountain. They know what the quickest path to get up the mountain is. They know when to climb, when not to climb. They know all these things. So occasionally what will happen is, and you know, this is you heard these stories too probably, is someone will show up and they won't listen to their Sherpa. Or someone will show up and they'll say, I don't even need a Sherpa. That's the other classic one. And sure enough, you'll hear about you know, or they'll actually, I remember this one particular movie, I believe they passed three frozen bodies on the way up. Right. And none, of, and all of them had decided not to listen to their Sherpa. I can do it on my own. Exactly. I mean, that's, you, you well, know, it, frozen stiff, like a popsicle. Yeah, exactly. How'd
2: that work out for you?
1: Well, I mean, it's sad. We sh- I mean, obviously <laughs> I it's sad. Just but saying, still, where'd that but, thought
2: come from? Right. You
1: know? that thought, So, you know, they didn't listen to their Sherpa. They didn't hire a Sherpa. They decided that they were going to go about it their own way. They weren't going to follow the proven path to the top. You know, one of the great lies in real estate. And Julie and I are going to be putting this in our book that we're planning on finishing this year. One of the great lies of real estate is there's a million ways to be successful. I mean, that's something you hear at real estate conventions. Or One of the best things about real estate is there's a million ways to do it. There's a million ways to do it, whatever it is, but there's not really a million ways to be successful at anything in life. That's just a lie. It just is. There's really maybe one or two proven paths up to the top of that mountain. Unless you're going to follow one of the, one or two of those proven paths, chances are you're going to be a you're going to be a, a, a human popsicle, as Julie said, right? So that's what our coaches are. They're your they're your sherpas. They're the ones that are going to tell you when to climb, when not to climb. They're the ones that are going to tell you how to be prepared. They're the ones that are going to tell you, you know, you can do it when you're not feeling motivated. You know, they're going to help you get to the top of the mountain when you're ready. Sometimes people show up at the at Mount Everest at at base camp. You know, base camp's the first, you know, where you land after you've actually got out of the initial staging area. Some people don't get past the first stage. They base camp, view's good enough. That was enough for me. I am done. I could say I climbed Mount Everest. No one will ever ask if I climbed to the top, but now I can officially say I did. But it's something like 60% of everyone that shows up, all their gear, all their training, all their preparedness, all their everything, and they never leave You know the 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 initial place the staging area they just stay there they look at the damn thing they say you know what this isn't for me and that's great because then they don't risk their lives right but at the end of the day when you hire a coach the coach is about getting you to the top or as high as you choose to climb not all of you are going to want to go to the top i get that so keep that in mind you know i love the fact that so many of you at least conceptually embrace the idea of coaching others and helping others it is the next natural progression for someone who's trying to be who's trying to be a true professional. It's something that all of you at some level find interesting and attractive because it is a natural pull for most of us, because most of us have the element of being natural born teachers at some you know, at, in some part of us. That's what we want to do. And that's wonderful. If you think you're a fit for us, especially after listening to these 10 points, I, want you, I, I strongly encourage you to apply for the job of being one of our coaches. Pay is great, but trust me when I tell you, it's a hard job. It's not for wimps. Go to timandjulieharris.com and just you'll find the uh, hiring section and just basically fill out the application. It takes just a little bit of time. For the rest of you, I hopefully now you understand all it goes into – Uh, the coaches that you hire when you hire us to be your coach. In other words, know that you're getting literally the top quality person that we could possibly find, possibly train. We don't go through a lot of people. In other words, we don't fire a lot of people because we keep folks around and we make them better, but we are very selective in who we bring in in the first place. If there's anything we can be doing for you at any time, request a free coaching call at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Lots of cool things happening on the radio this week. We're doing lots of things about, um, you know, with lots of interviews and all that good stuff. So make sure you tune in, and we'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow.
0: This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching.